The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. I've got a top handicapper and a very interesting guest for you. Our handicapper, well, he's the man in the grandstand, Tom Lamaro, the news editor at the Blood Horse magazine. He's over at Delaware Park this week, and uh, he's going to give us the flavor of Delaware Park as they feature their grade one $750,000 Delaware handicap. Uh, It's going to be a great rematch between uh, Frivolous and Sheer Drama, who uh, ran 1-2 in the fleur-de-lis Grade 2 at Churchill Downs. I believe that was on Stephen Foster night. So Tom's going to break that race down with us. And then there's another grade one, the Eddie Reed on the turf. That's right, gates open at Delmar. That started today. And then uh, Indiana has two grade two races. Uh, The Indiana Derby is a rematch of the Ohio Derby. And the Indiana Oaks is a rematch of two of the top horses in the Iowa Oaks. It'll be interesting to see uh, uh, who Tom likes on those rematches or if there's a new player in there uh, that he's going to uh, recommend to us on the handicapping level. Our first guest is uh, Barry Berkelhammer. Uh, He's a bloodstock agent, and I thought it'd be interesting to get his perspective uh, since we're going to have plenty of sales coming up here in the near future. like so many in the business, he started out small, and he ended up getting pretty big. Uh, we'll talk to him about the evolution uh, of him, his experiences, and the development of Abracadabra Farm in Ocala, Florida. Uh, just as an example, some of the horses that uh, Barry has picked out of the sales. How about two-time Eclipse Award winner, Ashado, and one of my favorite horses of all time, Harlan's Holiday, who won over 36 million dollars in multiple grade one winners. Uh, uh, Barry has uh, picked over a dozen graded stakes winners. So uh, we're going to see what his eye sees and how he sees these good horses when they go into the ring. And he does it on all different levels. And so again, our first guest, Barry Berkelhammer. Uh, Hope you pulled down some easy win forms over the last week. As always, from coast to coast, good week at Belmont Park. On the ninth, we had a $1 pick five that paid over $5,400. And then five days later, had a pick three that paid $3,670. I hope uh, Tom pulled down an easy win for him at Delaware Park. On July 6th, a $1 pick four paid $4,176. Ellis Park's open now, and we're doing right out of the gate. A $1 Super 5 key returned $2,500. 
So we're glad you're listening to Winning Ponies Radio, but we want you to go up and get some of our products because we are bringing home some big numbers. Well, again, uh, we'll be looking at most of the graded stakes races this week. Also at Arlington Park, there's the Hanshin Cup, which is a grade three, and uh, also on the Delaware card, the grade three Kent Stakes. Well, this is interesting. Uh, California Chrome is going to be shipped to TaylorMade Farm in Nicholasville, Kentucky this week following the farm's purchase of a minority share in that 2014 Horse of the Year. Art Sherman verified that. He said TaylorMade has purchased the ownership share that was previously held by Steve Coburn. Uh, As you know, Coburn and Perry Martin bred and raced California Chrome up until this time. So he's going to go to the Kentucky. uh, They say that he's sound as long as you don't try to run him on it, and he should be good in three months, according to his trainer, Art Sherman. Now, the long-term plans for California Chrome are uncertain at this point, with the possibilities not only of him being a stallion, or there could be a 2016 return to racing. I'd really love to see that, and I'm sure you would too, and it would only enhance his value as a stallion uh, when they did decide to retire him. Of course, uh, he missed the uh, Prince of Wales stakes because of a foot injury. Then up at Arlington Park, they found a cannon bone bruise that was detected last weekend. So uh, they're going to take it easy on him, and it looks like he'll probably pass on races for the rest of the year. He's already pocketed $6.3 million. Well, uh, if you're part of the Chrome camp, it wasn't a good week on another level. Uh, His two-year-old full sister will be sidelined for four to six months. Her name is Hope's Love. Uh, She had a hairline fracture in her shoulder. Thus, uh, Philly is trained by Steve Sherman, Art's son. She ran a really good race in her debut. They were hoping to bring her back. Uh, She was training well, but she was just off a little bit after a gallop. Um, They say that uh, there's a chance that uh, she could be getting going later in the year. Now, we did have uh, several not-so-positive stories this week. Uh, Lady Eli's racing future might be uncertain. As you know, she's the undefeated three-year-old filly on the grass, trained by Chad Brown. And the strange thing is, she just stepped on a nail while walking back from the test barn following her uh, sensational victory in the grade one Belmont Oaks on the 4th of July. So uh, it has turned into a sore foot into laminitis. Uh, They've stabilized her, but it is still serious. As you know, laminitis is a hoof disease that can sometimes prove fatal. Although uh, you may recall Painter, winner of the grade one Haskell, returned to race five times, including finishing second in the awesome again stakes. So uh, let's keep our fingers crossed because she was just one sensational mare. Uh, Chad Brown feels that uh, he, she was the best turf filly he's ever been around, and he was around Stace Alita and several champions he worked with when he was assistant with Bobby Frankel. Okay, another uh, big horse we're going to miss, Main Sequence, the champion turf horse and older male of 2014. On Monday, they announced his retirement with a tendon injury following his seventh-place finish in the July 5th United Nations Stakes. I know a lot of people were disappointed there. Uh, Now, he is a gelding, so he won't be going to stud, but they just said that uh, there's no sense in in taking any chances with him, and uh, they're going to just give him a, a home out in the pasture and let him uh, take his time, as he always did early in the race, but, man, he could get up when he had, when he had to do it. Um, 
if you think about it, his margin of victories in his five United States wins range from a head to three quarters of a length. Talk about a horse that knew where the finish line was. Main sequence will be missed on the track. Hey, now for some good news. American Pharaoh uh, logged his final Santa Anita drill and is uh, settled down at Bob Baffert's barn at Del Mar. He breezed five furlongs in 59-1 and one and galloped out six furlongs in a minute, 12 and two-fifths. Of course, Jackie Martin Garcia was up on him. You can find this on YouTube. And as they were going along, they kind of found a couple horses to aim at in the backstretch. And uh, you can see he kind of pricked his ears up a little bit and moved past one and uh, accelerated to the uh, wire. The other horse was much farther in front. But uh, in, in the video, you can see that he pulled up very, very well. Uh, he will ship to Monmouth Park for his next start. Uh, the one million William Hill Haskell Invitational. That's going to be August 2nd. So uh, good news on the American Pharaoh front. Now some jockey news. Uh, Rajiv Mara is out of the hospital, but he did suffer multiple fractures in his back from a spill at Belmont last Friday, and they say he's probably going to be out about a half a year. So uh, we really uh, wish him uh, nothing but the best. Uh, he's had some other injuries uh, recently. He celebrated his 30th birthday just last Thursday, and uh, he uh, was doing very well, ranked 11th in New York. So uh, good luck to Rajiv. Now, here's something that uh, is going on out in California. You may or may not know about it, uh, that there's a new rule regarding use of the whip out in California, and uh, three more jockeys were fined earlier in the week uh, for violating the new whip rule. Um, The California Horse Racing Board stated that riders can strike a horse only three times in succession before pausing to allow the horse to respond. And uh, the rule went into effect at Los Alamitos, and so far 10 riders there were fined for 11 infractions. It's got to be tough when you've got a specific riding style and all of a sudden somebody says, nope, you've got to change your style. Well, uh, one successful jockey that gets our Jockey's Guild of the Week award is Edgar Prado lit up the tote board Saturday in the Delaware Oaks, so we will get to that in a replay. He also won a stakes race on the undercard. Uh, that effort helped him secure the Jockey's Guild Jockey of the Week, 6th through the 12th. Uh, of course, uh, Edgar had uh, a very solid week. He finished with four wins, a second two-thirds from 11 mounts for earnings of $265,000. Okay, let's take a look at some of the races we looked at last week. Of course, Chicago was where you wanted to be in the Windy City. Joe Christofek helped us out with our handicapping, starting out with the American Derby, although it goes a mile and an eighth, not a mile and a quarter. The winner was the favorite and the horse we thought you had to be world approval. Uh, He attended the pace last time out and did the same thing in the American Derby and just held on by a neck over Crittenden, and in the third spot was none the less. Following that, we were wondering where Pizza Man was going to go. Well, he didn't go in the Arlington Handicap. He scratched out. I'm sure a lot of people were happy about that, especially the camp of Quiet Force. Uh, Quiet Force went off at 5-1. to one. This horse was a former 25 
$1,000 claimer. Certainly, Mike Maker has a, has a great eye uh, for, for horse flesh, and he's done this more than, more than once. Quiet Force got the job done at 5-1 to one in the Arlington Handicap. Second spot was Middleburg, and third was Up With The Birds, who was the even money favorite in there. Then uh, in the uh, Modesty Handicap, that was 100,000 fillies and mares. It was Walk Close, who rallied from seventh to win by a half a length, returning $11.60. James Graham doing always well up there in the Windy City. Second was Mango Diva, the horse that had been racing in Europe that shipped over with one start. And in the third spot uh, was Gaga A, the horse from Uruguay, who was the slight favorite in the race. And in the final race that we looked at up in Chicago, it was the Stars and Stripes. And in a much overused statement, the Pizza Man delivered. The Pizza Man won this race last year. Uh, He came back with a solid return in the opening verse after uh, taking a break since November. And uh, with Florent Giroux in the saddle, made a lot of people happy at four to five got up to win by a neck over Roman Approval, a former claimer trained by Mike Maker that led all the way at 7-1 to one, except for those last few jumps and uh, put the word Calvados, an Argentinian bred, in your horses to watch list because this gelding was boxed up very, very bad all the way down the late. Jose Lescano finally got him loose and he put in a good run. Uh, he went off at 12 to 1, so you might get a, get a price right there. So um, that was a look at our, our big races uh, last week. And uh, coming up shortly, we're going to be talking with Barry Burkelhammer, talk about Abracadabra Farm and what to look for when you go to the horse sales. They're going to be coming up here soon. So that's a look at the news of the week and last week's results. We'll be right back. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's a tough shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we... We cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports. Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. 
Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and we're lucky to have Barry Burkelhammer with us. Uh, he's a bloodstock agent and a whole lot more. we got the sales coming up, and this guy has an eye for good horse flesh. As I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, he's the one that found two-time Eclipse Award winner, a shadow, uh, the Canadian champion, a fantasy Lake, uh, one of my personal favorite horses, a multiple grade one winner, and eventually a successful sire in Harlan's Holiday, uh, and the, he has found uh, over a dozen graded stakes winners. That doesn't include all the other uh, stakes performers and uh, uh, non-graded stakes winners that uh, Barry Burkelhammer has found at the sales. Uh, no further ado, Barry, welcome to Winning Ponies. Well, thank you very much. Well, um, I, I, as I spoke to you earlier off the air, uh, if, if you go to abracadabrafarm.com, some great information on there, and also on there a, a, a blood horse story that was uh, written by D.D. Biles a long time ago. And I, I know it started out a little bit about you uh, being a little, rather than football practice, you being more interested in the horses that were in the field next to you. Uh, and that, that's what kind of got you the bug. Can you, can you tell us, our listeners, about... Uh, you know, how you got your interest in the game and kind of the evolution, not only of Barry Burkelhammer, but of uh, Abracadabra Farm. Well, you know, it's like, you know, people say that it's, that it's in your blood. Uh, you know, some people are raised in the horse business from their families, and some people just find their way to it. And I guess it truly was just in my blood because it, I just gravitated towards horses. And um, I pestered my parents until they bought me riding lessons in spite of all the other activities they had us signed up on. And from there, at, um, my introduction to the racetrack was through a summer job working for the veterinarian that took care of my horse. I rode as a veterinary assistant in the summers and um, got to go to Hialeah and back in the heyday. And of course, I'm dating myself just a little bit, but That's okay. um, that was sort of my first introduction to horse racing and you know from there i just couldn't get enough well yeah i thought it was interesting that uh, you you learned equine dentistry that's one of those things that people uh that uh, don't deal with horses on a regular basis don't think about that and and, and the farriers and the, the things that change over uh, a horse's lifespan now um it was fun reading that story finding out that you started out with uh, an old car 500 bucks and a 20 acre farm uh that has since uh, blossomed into a 240-acre abracadabra farm in Ocala. Uh, take me through your early years. Did you, did you start out as a pin hooker, or what were your first professional uh, experiences in horse racing? Well, you know, early on, um, we had a little place near Calder out in the little horse country out there where I did layups and, of course, had a dentistry business, and came to Ocala for a visit and just decided that if you were going to be in the horse business, this is where you had to be. So we packed up and um, just came, didn't know anybody really, and um, leased a little place to start. And I flourished with a, a dentistry business. And um, during the travels, we heard about 
this pin hooking, which I had no idea what that was, but somebody explained to me that um, they used to buy a yearling and resell it as a two-year-old. And of course, back in those days, it was very grassroots. Um, it wasn't quite as sophisticated as it, as it is today. Um, you know, horses breezed with their exercise riders from the farm. And most of them were barefooted behind. And, um, you know, so it was very grassroots. But um, we bought our first horse and, and um, resold it and just thought, wow, this is pretty easy. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's kind of how it got started. And each year we'd buy one or two and kind of expanded from there. And, um, you know, as, as, uh, as we started selling good horses, um, people would, you know, be impressed, I guess, with the way they were trained and how they acted and started asking us to, to break there. So it kind of evolved from there. Um, you know, uh, referring back to that, that uh, blood horse article, you, you stated that you pick all your horses the same way, that you look at the overall group that's on the grounds, try to find the horse that you think is a balanced athlete and well-proportioned. It's not necessarily a horse that's big or small or an early full or a late full, that you wanted them to have a package that fits together and have a long, lovely walk. How does one develop the eye for spotting a, a Harlan's Holiday when they're young? You know, I mean, that's a good question, and I always find that, you know, I guess those that that have developed the eye just sort of take it for granted because um, I always find that, you know, you walk around with a, a client or somebody and, and they just don't seem to see it when you're trying to describe things. So I think part of it is you, know, you have to just have a, a natural eye for symmetry and, and balance and athleticism and, um, you know, I don't get to, I guess there's any one thing that you can sort of school yourself to learn. You just need to be around a, a lot of horses and a lot of good horses, and, and you start to develop an eye for what it takes to be a good horse. Well, it sounds to me like you put more emphasis on the, the physicality than than looking at, the, you know, the tappets, the, the whoever, you know, name, name a top sire or uh, the, the black type. Do you... Do you uh, put much more emphasis on what your eye sees rather than what's in the book? Absolutely. I mean, I think pedigree is a, is a guide um, as to what you would expect a horse to look like. I mean, you know, I don't want a, a horse that's, you know, bred top and bottom to run a rat of ground on, on turf to look like a, a little short coupled sprinter. So, I mean, a horse has to, you know, you have to depend on his pedigree to an extent. Um, but that's really just a statistical analysis of what you could expect the horse to do. Then, but you, you know, you really need the physical animal to stand up to that. So most of those stallions that you mentioned, including Tappet, were not Tappets when they started. I mean, I remember when Stormcat started, he was a $10,000 stallion. Um, Tappet himself started down there somewhere. Um, and that Caput and Tocket started the, their stud careers at the same time. And, you know, I challenge anybody to remember who Tocket is, but, um, you know, they were both pulpit sons, and who knew which one was going to make it? Uh, exactly. Um, now, do, do you have, 
a preference or do have a strength for uh, yearling sales, uh, two-year-old and training sales? Uh, do you do it all? Yeah, I mean, I do both. I think I probably have more of an edge, so to speak, um, at the yearling sales, maybe because I was a, a pin hooker for so long. I kind of one of I, I have a relationships out there for you know who to buy from and who to trust and um, that sort of thing. And um, so I think I have an edge where you know you get to the two-year-old sales, and that's kind of the the name of that game is to show the hand. So once the the poker hand has been shown it's, you know, a lot more people can find that horse and it takes much deeper pockets to go after the ones that have proven themselves. Um, and as you know from somebody that raises horses, there's a lot more work that's been done to get them to that point, um, you know, mm-hmm. depending on, you know, when, when you got them. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, the two, I mean, I think there's advantages and disadvantages both from, a yielding perspective versus a two-year-old perspective. They have their strong points. They have their weaknesses. I think it's a matter of, you know, a customer just understanding and having it explained to them what those pluses and minuses are. And, and then they can, based on their, their risk level and what they're comfortable with, can make a decision where they'd like to play. But I, I do think I'd, I'd probably have a, sort of an edge at the yielding side because obviously the poker hand has not been shown yet. Well, you know, I, uh, your website, again, at abracadabrafarm.com is uh, really well done, and you, people can go on a farm tour if they want. Uh, you've really uh, grown from uh, individually, you know, selecting and pin-hooking horses to a state-of-the-art facility that, that breaks trains. You offer layups. Uh, you're even into the broodmare and foaling uh, a part of it. Uh, and I've only got a few minutes left, but uh, d- d- describe, you know, your, your clients. I mean, uh, do you have some that just like to breed and, and raise horses there, or are there some that you recommend that they perhaps buy a broodmare, fold your farm, and raise it? I mean, it seems like you could go all kinds of levels at Abracadabra. Yeah, well, you know, I think I find that, um, you know, people that, that enter the business, they always seem to, they might enter in one aspect, and they might gravitate to another, and it, it always kind of amazing that, you know, there's some people that just are more comfortable enjoying the breeding side of things and, and owning a mare year in and year out and selecting her to breed her to and sort of watching her offspring, um, you know, living vicariously through somebody else that's racing it, um, you know, selling it commercially. And then there's other people that don't have the patience and the, to take the time to try to develop that and they'd rather you know, have more instantaneous um, returns and they want to race and they want the excitement of that. Um, so it seems like, you know, to make it like the, the guy that, that breeds and sells, uh, you know, weanlings or yearlings, the idea of training a horse to a two-year-old sale, you know, spooks him. You know, ah, you know, there's between the expenses and the risks and what, the, you know. And then uh, there's other guys that the idea of breeding one is just, you know, they just couldn't fathom doing it. So everybody seems to kind of gravitate to where their comfort is. Well, um, 
I've only got about a minute or so left, but um, how have you over the years harvested your clients? And uh, do you have some that you know what their needs are and they put their total trust in, in, into you and you kind of know what level they're at for, for what the purchase price would be? Yeah, I mean, most, you know, most of my clients, I mean, I've had for a long time when somebody does come along that's, that's kind of new, I like to have a kind of a discussion to lay out what the risks are and, and what the pitfalls are and what their expectations should be. Um, and then based on, again, what their risk level is and how much money they, you know, want to play, um, kind of dictates, you know, what area of the market you want to be in. Um, you know, some people are obviously have more wealth to play with and can play a little stronger and have a little more bang for the buck. And, um, but there's a place for people to play at other levels too. So, you know, we kind of serve either or. Well, uh, we've been lucky enough to be talking with uh, Barry Burkelhammer from Abracadamra Farm and Barry Burkelhammer Bloodstock. Uh, it's, it's been a real pleasure. I, I wish you nothing but the best. I know you're probably coming up on a pretty busy season with uh, September right around the corner. And I appreciate you taking the time, Barry. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Again, abracadabrafarm.com is where you want to go if you want to find out uh, about Barry and the services that the farm provides. And uh, my hat's off to him because he found and Kenny McPeak developed the greatest Ohio bread that ever looked through a bridal, Harlan's Holiday, a winner of over $3.6 million. Uh, coming up, we're going to be handicapping from Delaware Park to Del Mar with my friend Tom Lamar, the news editor of The Blood Horse. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. I just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and back with me, award-winning writer and the news editor of the Blood Horse magazine and also a top handicapper, Tom Lamara. Tom, how are you doing? I'm well, John. How are you doing? 
Uh, very good, very good. Well, listen, I haven't had you on since the Triple Crown, and I want to kind of uh, take a step back in time and uh, tell me uh, where were you when it happened and uh, what was your reaction? Well, where was I? Um, was home uh, working online. Um, I was not one of the people that went and um, was making dinner. <laughs> and uh, my wife, Karen, and I had a friend over. Uh, we watched it on TV. And, um, you know, it was one of those races where you could kind of tell on the far turn that it was probably happening. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, uh, which... Which was obvious, I think, and he did win, and um, it was excited. I, I, or excuse me, exciting. I guess I wasn't as as excited as I would have been had I been there. I guess, right? Uh, or maybe I've just been watching racing for so long I got a little <laughs> bit jaded. But I don't know. Uh, look, look, I'm glad he did. I think that he is a really fine racehorse, and um, I certainly wish him the best in his next two or three starts this year and we'll see where it goes. But, you know, it's created some energy. Um, I kind of thought the lead up to it wasn't as much as it was even last year for California Chrome. It certainly wasn't like the lead up for Smarty Jones in 2004, but you know what? Um, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, it charged up some people, which I think is good. So, well, you know, even my non-racing friends were talking about it every time they see me. So I like that it piques the interest of, you know, Joe Sixpack. Right. Even, you know, it's certainly not bad for our business. Now, I know that you are personally have been and are going to be at Delaware Park where they're running their big grade one handicap. I've never been there. Can you kind of paint the picture for me? What kind of track is Delaware? Well, um, you know, I'm kind of biased because, as you know, I'm from South Jersey. I, you know, was raised about three quarters of an hour from the place. It was one of those tracks that I went to, you know, with my aunts, my uncle, my family as a kid. Uh, the first year that I went there was 1976 when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13 or something. Um, I can tell you um, with my opinion, which I said is biased, uh, it's, for the ambiance, the view, um, it is probably top three in the country for me. And the paddock is probably the best in the country. It, it is just magnificent. It's, um, you know, it's shady. There's, you know, large trees, uh, green grass. It's big. The horses walk around a large area. Uh, it has a great picnic area for fat. It's, it's really a very nice racetrack. Um, and I would recommend a visit from, you know, for whoever has not been there, I would strongly recommend a visit. You would be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> well, if they visit it uh, on Saturday, they're going to get to watch a grade one in the Delaware handicap. Uh, as you said, you're getting the uh, heat and humidity that we've got in the Midwest, so there's always the chance yeah. of a pop-up shower. Uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Uh, this mile-and-a-quarter race is set to go on the main course. And uh, let's face it, when, when, you, when you look at uh, this race, it's sheer drama, or it could be frivolous. Yes. Um, you know, and those are horses' names, by race- the way. <laughs> 
What's what's that? What's that? I, I for the audience, I just want to let them know that those are horses' names, just not exclamation. Oh, right, right, right. Um, <laughs> this year, um, there isn't a big mare, um, which has been the case. You know, last year I think it was Princess of Silmar. Um, the two years before that, Royal Delta won. Um, so, and, and really, I don't know who the big mare is right now anyway, but, 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 but this really did draw a very well-matched field. And as you know, the cheer drama and frivolous, um, the second and uh, first place finishers consecutively, uh, um, excuse me, respectively, in the Fleur de Lis last time out. Um, then you have uh, uh, Rosalind, who was entered actually in a grade three turf stakes at the track last, uh, last weekend, scratched. And she was entered to run on the dirt instead of the turf. So she's kind of interesting. And, um, you know, it, it, a lot of these mares have the same running style. So this could be a really tricky race at a mile and a quarter. Frivolous through the rail has a lot of early speed, or at least the most early speed. And, you know, she gets brave. She got brave at large prices twice at Churchill. Of course, she, she's three to one on the morning line and could end up the favorite. I don't know. Um, the horse that, you know, that I'm kind of partial to, she is a drop back to last and make one run horse, joint return, uh, who drew post seven. Um, she, she's had a great career, but, you know, oddly she has never won a great at stakes, although she was, a very close second in the grade one Alabama at Saratoga last year at a mile and a quarter. Um, yeah. Strangely enough, um, was on vacation uh, a couple of years ago in December. She was two, met a friend at Parks. She broke her maiden against the boys, and I've been kind of enamored with her ever since. So she's kind of a, a sentimental favorite. But you know what? At eight to one, you got to watch the way the track's playing. Maybe that'll be her day. I don't know. We'll see. But it's a pretty competitive bunch. It, it, it absolutely is. And you know, like you said, yeah, they, they all kind of like to take back and make a big run. And I kind of give a little edge to Frivolous, though, uh, again, she's a mayor that doesn't get a whole lot of respect. The, the two wins you mentioned, uh, the, uh, both came at Churchill Downs, so I don't know if it's a horse for course. It's never raced at Delaware. But uh, when it did win, it won at 20 to 1 and 32 to 1. Uh, John Court's a friend of mine. He's been on the show before. And I'll be rooting for Frivolous. If, if he can maybe shake loose on the lead, I think it could be an advantage. Mm-hmm. But you're right. These horses are going to be flying at him at the end, uh, both joint return and sheer drama. No doubt about that. Uh, again, that was at uh, Delaware Park. It'll be a run as race 10. Uh, 5.45 Eastern Time. Uh, then we go out uh, to Delmar, and uh, the Eddie Reed, they moved this up early on their card. Uh, it's, it's a seven-horse field, but it's a pretty interesting group of seven. Uh, I think uh, Pete Miller's had enough of his experiment with Finnegan's Wake by running that horse <laughs> a mile and a quarter on the main track. Uh, and, and was beaten by hard aces and opportunity uh, in the grade one gold cup. So the return to grass certainly will help. It's opening weekend at, at, at Del Mar. But this other cast of characters, I mean, I, I'm just kind of a Finnegan's Wake fan because I really like Donnie Gall Racing and the people involved, Jerry Crawford. Um, you know, you've got, you've got a, a graded stakes winning horse from Brazil that's coming up. Uh, you've got a lot of horses with upside. And oddly enough, you have two horses that have won the Del Mar Derby. Well, how could that be? Well, Gabriel Charles 
did it in 2013, and Midnight Storm did it in 2014. So they, they, they did it in, in separate years, winning the Del Mar Derby. Um, Gabriel Charles has uh, had a period where it didn't race for all of 2014. Could be on the comeback trail. I don't know. Uh, Midnight Storm, uh, if, you're, if you're looking for you know, the speed horse, he's going to be a part of it. And Finnegan's Wake that I mentioned, uh, he doesn't even get going until he gets near the uh, 16th pole, I think. Yeah. Uh, once again, there's, you know, there's a lot of ways to go in this race. Um, I, you know, I really couldn't get a handle on this race looking at it. And I don't have the morning line odds yet for this race, but, um, you know, um, I gotta say, I kind of like your horse, <laughs> um, you know, the, the, uh, the gold cup on the dirt last time, uh, you know, it was worth trying and you know what, look, the horse finished a decent fourth. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I thought Opportunity uh, would have won that race. Of course, he just got nosed out at the wire by hard aces. Catch a flight around third is a very nice third horse. I really like this horse coming back to the graph. And, you know, when he went to California um, last uh, last fall, um, he, he really took to the grass courses in California. He won at Del Mar last November. He won the Hollywood Turf Cup. That wasn't a uh, mile and a half, but... I mean, you know, he's three for six and a mile and an eighth. And you know what? I, I think he's worth a shot back on turf. I really do. I, I do, too. Uh, you, so I'll be having him on top. You've you got your guaranteed speed duel in here with, uh, with Big Casanova and Midnight Storm, which I think could benefit underneath Gabriel Charles if he's back on his toes. And it, it looks to me like he might be coming back into form, Tom, because I really like the uh, turf works that Jeff Mullins has put him through uh, since his third-place finish uh, in the Grade 3 American. Uh, you know, you like to have the comeback stories. He's only a five-year-old a horse. And, uh, again, I have no odds in front of me, but I do notice that uh, Mike Smith, a deputized for Victor Espinosa on Finnegan's Wake, will be on Gabriel Charge and uh, Charles. And as you know, he's been a money rider of sorts. So I'd like to be able to see if I could get some money on this horse. But again, with Mike Smith being in the saddle, probably not. Well, you know, um, he has the right running style, you would think, because there is some speed in here, and he likes to sit just off the speed. And um, really, his his last race was pretty good. Um, and, well, excuse me, his 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 last two races, which were this year, were one mile on the grass. Now he's at a mile and an eighth. And, um, you know, of course, this was in the fall, or, uh, late summer and early fall of 13, but he raced exceptionally well at a mile and an eighth. So I can see why uh, you and some other people would uh, lean toward this horse. Um, you know, he looks pretty good on paper. So, Yeah, well, I, I thought it was kind of interesting before we go to break is uh, – this Maltese, if that's how you pronounce the Brazilian bred horse. Here's a horse that's a grade one, albeit in Brazil, but a, a grade one, grade two, grade three stakes winner, and they bring him over here 
and geld them. <laughs> you would think there might be some market for, you know, I mean, I know he's a Brazilian bread, but, you know, when you're a grade one, two, three stakes winner, and then you come over here and somebody does you that disjustice, I'm just kind of scratching my head. And this will be a first-time gelding. And uh, this is something in the racing forum that pops up uh, just, uh, oh, a month or so ago. I asked yeah. him, I go, what is the Circle G? I under, understand first Lasix, but now they point out first-time gelding. Have, have you seen any... Um, association between first-time gelding and an improved racing performance? You know, um, it's, it's, it, it happens a lot, meaning, you know, um, um, you see a lot of it in the form now and in the track programs it's mentioned. And you know what? Um, I, 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 don't, I don't, like, watch it every time, but I, I really haven't noticed, like, major form reversals. It's certainly not like uh, the first-time Lasix deal. You know? <laughs> well, it worked. It worked for John Henry. Um, we know that. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, but like I said, I don't know whether anybody's keeping stats on this or not. I looked at it, just you know, uh, uh, noting it only. Um, but still, I still need to kind of like like the horse um, prior to, and then you know that may help me use the horse. But I would rather just like the horse on its form. Um, but as you pointed out, you know, he's six. He hasn't raced since 2013, in December of 2013. So I guess, um, you know, um, they're not going to be breeding him, so I guess they sent him over here to race. <laughs> <laughs> so, You're right we'll about that, Tom. That, that's a definite. Well, listen, we're going to take a little <laughs> bit of a break, and then I'm going to bring you back uh, closer to your uh, current roots anyhow, and we're going to go over to Indiana for the Oaks and the Derby. You're listening to Winning Ponies. to the pros we cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, Tom Lamara from the Blood Horse. Off the air, we were discussing Maltese, the Brazilian bred uh, multiple stakes winner who's a grandson of Stormcat. My question was, there might be some residual value in this horse, being a grandson of Stormcat and a three-time graded stakes winner. But, Tom, you pointed out a very, very interesting fact. Where was this horse 
during 2014. Perhaps they tried to breed him. He wasn't throwing bullets, and they said, well, if you're not going to be a stud, you're going to make us money racing. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, that's strictly a guess, but it kind of makes sense, right? You know, the whole year with no activity, well, no racing activity. <laughs> yeah, and he was five at the time, which would have been a time right. to retire him, you know, as a graded stakes right. So, and, and I think it's interesting that you say that you haven't seen a study. I haven't either, and I hope there's somebody out there that is tracking these horses. I'd love to see at year's end, since we're now tracking first-time geldings, if somebody does have a record of performance um, on first-time geldings. It would be very yeah, interesting um, to see that. The racing form might be keeping track of that stuff, you know, or maybe maybe even Equibase, I'm not sure, but uh, it's certainly some something that, you know, is uh, worth inquiring about, which I will try to remember to do, <laughs> because I am curious now. Yes, so. absolutely. Let's find out who's keeping track of it, you know. Uh, well, listen, uh, I know that uh, you you, uh, you enjoy going to the smaller tracks, probably even more than you enjoy going to the bigger ones. Um, Indiana Grand is uh, putting uh, out a uh, grand performance over the weekend with not one but two grade two races uh, that carry personal right. 200000 and a half a million. Let's start with, uh, and, and both of them are kind of interesting, the horses that they're bringing uh, that have shipped in for it, that have raced very game races against each other. We'll start with the with the uh, Indiana Grand Oaks, two hundred thousand going a mile on the sixteenth, and two horses that put in sensational performances in the Iowa Oaks are going to be in the field. In uh, Ian Wilkes trained Sweetgrass and Kenny McPeak trained Pangburn, both coming in from the Iowa Oaks. Uh, I think it's funny that they're going to find each other in the starting gate again. Yes, um, those races were late at night, and and um, one of my jobs that night was writing a recap, so I did pay attention to those two races, or, or excuse me, the Oaks and the Iowa Derby and and the Cornhusker. But um, you know what? They both ran um, pretty good races. Um, the winner, Sarah Sis, uh, she's being pointed, I think, to New York. She may be going to Saratoga or something. And she is a nice filly, so, you know, um, that was a grade three race, and I think that it was a legitimate grade three. And, uh, of course, this is a grade two. I think that this race is tougher because you have some, um, you know, some nice allowance winners from Churchill, which I find are always extremely dangerous. You know, they may not have run in a graded stakes, but, you know, they're, they're probably primed for it. Uh, this is another one of these races where, I don't know. You have a lot of off the pace types, <laughs> and um, you know, I, I looked at it and said, "Who's going to get the lead here?" And I thought maybe it's this horse, All Day Alice, um, who um, was third in a Churchill Downs allowance race at a mile on the sixteenth, and um, she finished behind a horse named Emma Majestic, who was also in this race. He ran second in that. Uh, Churchill race off of a $40,000 claim. Um, you've got Silver Pockets full dropping out of the grade one Ashland. And, um, of course, that was won by lovely Maria, who came back to win the Kentucky Oaks. But, um, you know, and ran third in the Ashland. I, I think it's just a very, very competitive group. Um, it's kind of a dartboard race for me. Um you know, um, uh, you know, uh, and I really don't know who I like. I, I, one, one, one horse that I'm really 
intrigued by his tiger ride, um, who had been trained by Kellen Gorder and then, um, uh, through the Keeneland Spring Meet, and then uh, was shipped to Grand Motion at Fairhill. She's been training at Fairhill. And um, she's only run once on the dirt. She ran a good third um, in a Churchill Downs allowance race around one turn. But, you know, um, Grand Motion shipping to Indiana Grand uh, when he's got, you know, a lot of options in the Mid-Atlantic intrigues me very, very much. And I see he has named Cintron to ride. Uh, he's a mid-Atlantic rider who regularly rides for Graham. So this one intrigues me at a price. Well, the one that intrigues me is the inside horse, Ocean Wave, who drew the rail but makes no difference. This horse won't be in the same zip code at the half-mile pole with these horses. But I think on the basis of class, and uh, we're talking about a horse that ran second to Sarasis ran second to include Betty in graded stakes company earlier this year. Um, if there can be some kind of pace up front, I think that this uh, Wayne Catalano trainee could definitely be a part of the mix in the uh, Indiana Oaks. Yeah, and you know what? Once again, we don't have the morning line odds here, but uh, and and really, I, I would imagine that maybe the... the um, the three old fillies who are coming out of the grade ones, like the acorn, like Ocean Bay, and um, Silver Pockets Full, will probably get the action. But, yeah, I mean, this looks like a race where, you know, you may have a 12 to 15 to one shot that you really like, and I would recommend making the bet because this really does look like a crapshoot to me. So. I love it. Well, we've got about three minutes to take a look at uh, the rematch of the Ohio Derby renamed the Indiana Derby, grade two, half a million on the line. And you've got Far Right that ran sixth in the Ohio Derby. Didn't do too much, and there was kind of flat. But, man, what a performance down the lane by Mr. Z and Divining Ride, who are going to break right next to each other in the one and two hall. Uh, both of them, uh, Mr. Z showed exceptional early speed to, compared to his other form. And uh, Divining Ride, uh, Rod, rather, uh, ran third in the Preakness and just put in a game effort. This was one of, my, one of the most exciting races of the year was the Ohio Derby, Tom. Yes, it was. Um, was up there, was right on the rail, near the finish, and uh, was, like, really, really excited. I mean, really, I hadn't seen a three-horse finish in a, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, well, excuse me, it's not a graded stakes. It probably yeah, about half be. a million dollars, but you know. In that kind of a quality race, I had not seen a finish like that, and was really, like, really, John. I didn't know who win, who, or excuse me, who won. I had bet Tensender, who dropped back on the turn, and then all of a sudden he's charging three wide on the outside in the stretch. I thought he got up and won. I did um, too, but. You know what, um, Mr. Z, um, you know, it's hard not to like a horse who's already raced 15 times. Um, he hasn't missed many dances, as we know. And you, you know what, he, he really looked good in that race, and um, I have no problem picking him again because, yeah, that was only his second win in his 15th start. But, you know, maybe he just put it all together last time. Um, I don't think quality or talent was ever an issue with this horse. And, um, you know, this is kind of the same type of field. I, I, don't, I don't see why he couldn't win again. Uh, I can remember after the race, uh, uh, Lucas 
called out to Joe Bravo, who wrote him for the first time, and said, let's talk about the next couple. And he said, okay. Now, I see that Bravo was named to ride this horse. This race goes, um, I think, 945. Now, Bravo was named to ride Sheer Drama in, in the Dell Cap at about 545. This is 945. I'm, I'm, so, I'm guessing that Calumet Farms getting him a private jet. Tom, I'll I tell you what, so. telling me I've got to check out here on Winning Ponies. So okay. uh, right. n- n- never, uh, never doubt the abilities of D. Wayne Lucas to get one to the winner's circle. Exactly. You, you've seen it many, many times. There's a reason why he's a Hall of Famer and still training into the years that he is. Tom Lamaro from right. the Blood Horse, thank you very much, and I look forward to when our paths will cross next. Yep, me too. All right. Okay. Well, that's Tom, one of my favorite guests here on Winning Ponies. Want to uh, give a shout out to Barry Burkelhammer, and again, abracadabrafarms.com. Check it out. This guy's had some great success, and I hope you have great success with our easy win forms here. Come online, winningponies.com, overlooking the turf course, past the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky. I'm John Engelhart. Remember, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Network.